Welcome back to another episode of Girls and Co. I'm here with two OGs, Taylor Sam, and we have a wonderful, lovely guest, Lindsay Barra. How are you doing today? I am just peachy. Thank you guys so much for letting me join in. Love it. So we always start off with going around the table, talking about our weekend update. Sam, would you like to start? Sure. Um, what? Oh, duh. This weekend, <laughs> past weekend was um, Bomb Player Warehouse Tournament Weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun. We had a bunch of new guests, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of cricket players, other people in the cricket world. Um, so that was really cool to get a bunch of new people to see what we do and how the warehouse works. Um, so yeah, that was that was the entire weekend, but it was it was good. Lindsay, what about you? What did you do this past weekend? On Saturday, I went for a pretty foggy hike up Storing King Mountain. It was my last day of hiking for a while because I'm going to be on the road promoting my Grandpa Yogi's documentary, which we're going to talk about. But I always take my girlfriend for a birthday hike, and it was her birthday, so we did that. And then Sunday, I was down at the Somerset Patriots Stadium, um, and I got to go into the radio booth uh, for an inning and talk about grandpa's documentary. And I was out on the field with Sparky Lyle and the mascots and whatnot pregame. So that was a lot of fun. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. Taylor, what about you? What'd you do? I was in South Carolina visiting my dad and some friends and it was so nice. The Thriving. It was amazing. Um, yeah, I wasn't ready to come back after a week to be, to be honest. No, there's was, something different about the South, yeah, especially was, this time of the year. Yeah, it was really, really nice. So yeah, I love just it. got back, um, Monday night. I didn't do anything but the same exact thing as Sam. Uh, I was in the warehouse all weekend and Lindsay, to give you like a little preface of like what we're talking about, this warehouse is like literally exactly what you think of when you think of a warehouse, but we just like play sports inside of the warehouse. Okay. <laughs> Sounds fun. So like you close the door and you like lose track of time. You don't know if the sun's up, out, raining, snow. You really just don't know. So it's like this really interesting place that we go to quite often. Um, all right. Let's dive in to the interview, the nitty gritty the questions i want to start off by asking who are you because some people that watch this might not know some people might know you but who is lindsay barra uh <laughs> i'm still asking myself that question five years on this <laughs> um I, you know, first and foremost, I was, I, I grew up in the Barra family. I'm Yogi and Carmen Barra's oldest uh, granddaughter. And that gave me this, you know, tremendous love of sports, which I uh, turned into a career. I played sports all growing up. I played soccer, ice, ice hockey, softball, basketball. Um, I played uh, boys ice hockey in high school. I was the captain of the boys varsity team at my high school in New Jersey. And then I played men's club hockey and division one softball at the University of North Carolina, go Tar Heels. Um, and then after that, I was at ESPN magazine for 13 years covering hockey, mostly hockey and tennis, but boxing, baseball, three Olympic games, a um, whole bunch of stuff. And then I was at MLB.com and MLB Network for five years. I've been a freelancer for the last five years, and I've spent a good chunk of that um, as the executive producer of my Grandpa Yogi's upcoming documentary, It Ain't Over, which Paxton got to see last night and will be in theaters on May the 12th. Um, so that's it. Yeah, that's like, I, I want to kind of touch on the sports that you played because 
when I was reading, I mean, there's so many bios on you out there and I was just trying to get like some nitty gritty information. And the fact that you played both softball and men's ice hockey, how did those, those don't typically go hand in hand. Like if you would have said golf and hockey, I'd been like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. But like softball and men's ice hockey, how did we land on those two? So it was all Grandpa Yogi's fault. So he was a really big hockey fan. He grew up on the hill in St. Louis, which was the Italian section of St. Louis. And down the hill was St. Louis Arena, where the St. Louis Flyers played. And he used to tell people that his father built the arena, um, but his father, he, he worked in the uh, the brickyards and he made all the bricks that built the arena. So grandpa had some an affinity to it. And he used to go there and watch hockey games all the time. Um, he would skate with the Flyers in the off seasons until George Weiss, the general manager of the Yankees, uh, saw a picture of him in the newspaper and sent him a telegram that said, get your effing ass off those <laughs> effing skates. We didn't want his his star catcher to be hurt. My grandparents' first date was at a hockey game. And uh -huh. when, uh, so grandpa was really good friends with John McMullen, who was the owner of the New Jersey Devils. He brought the Devils to New Jersey in 1982, I believe it was, I was four. Uh, he started taking me to hockey games then, and I just sort of fell in love with it. So it was really all grandpa Yogi's fault. That's crazy. Do you think that, would you say that hockey was maybe your first love or do you think it was just always baseball? I think it was both. I mean, they, they were just such different times of the year. You know, back then, um, the kids didn't play sports, the same sport year round the way they do nowadays. And I could just play hockey in the winter and and uh, baseball in the springtime and soccer in the fall. And I just, you know, switched back and forth with no problem. So I feel like I did really love them equally. Um, but it was nice to get a break from one and get to go to the other and you know, do a different thing, be outside instead of in the arena um, yeah. and warm instead of cold, you know? Right. Um, so it worked, it worked well for times of the year. So you studied journalism. Did you always want to cover sports? Because I know I, I studied journalism as well. And we have a few people in the office that did that too. And was there ever a thought of not wanting to go in sports because you loved it so much and you wanted to keep it a love instead of a job? Or was it always, I wanted to be in sports? in journalism, covering it in some capacity? So when I was in high school and looking at colleges, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took AP English and a bunch of other AP classes. And I was always really good at the writing part of everything. And my mom just said, you don't really know what you want to do, but you're an amazing writer. So why don't you go to journalism school and cover sports? And for lack of a better idea, that was what I did. Um, but when I was at University of North Carolina, this like shows you how long ago I was in college. They actually didn't even have a sports program at that time. You weren't allowed to write about sports because they didn't consider it like real news. So when I was in journalism school, I was covering, you know, town council meetings and like rewriting AP copy about Libya, you know, um, they didn't, we, you weren't allowed to do sports. And I also, as a varsity athlete was not allowed to write for our school newspaper. So I couldn't even cover sports for the daily Tar Heel. So it was, uh, it was a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely say so. So you were kind of just figuring it out, doing it on the side and, and just, you landed that gig right out of college and kind of went from there and built your career off of that. I did. When I first started at ESPN Magazine as a fact checker, which is that, you know, dreadful job where you have to 
triple check every word that goes in print and at three different sources that the joke was that if your dry if your name appears in print double check it against your driver's license um <laughs> and the woman who had been working in the hockey department left and went somewhere else and I knew hockey really, really well. And I had already met the editor and he was like, oh, let's just hire Lindsay. We don't have to interview anyone. She's already here. And I'm like, okay. So I ended up being a 21 year old covering hockey nationally for ESPN magazine at a time when there were really only, I think three women total covering hockey nationally. So it was pretty cool. That's crazy. That is actually crazy. So moving aside from sports journalism and your career on that aspect, you've obviously recently become an executive producer and gone to that side of things. Did, was that ever a goal of yours or was that something that kind of was a passion project that turned into this fruition of a film? This was, this really happened for me totally by accident. Our producer, Peter Soboloff, um, had played in my grandpa's museum golf outing many years in a row and he was friendly with my uncles. And he saw the Mr. Rogers documentary in the summer of 2018. And he asked my, he ended up loving it. And he asked my uncles, how come there's no Mr. Rogers documentary, but about your dad? And they were like, we have no idea. No one's made one. And he said, well, can I make one? And they said, have at it, right? So Peter had produced a movie previously with Sean Mullen, who ended up being our director. And Sean was a West Point graduate. He played rugby at West Point. So he was a veteran and an athlete. And my family just loved him immediately because he had a lot in common with Grandpa Yogi from those perspectives. And as soon as I met Sean and, you know, I, I loved him. He's he's great and has all these wonderful Hollywood connections. But you realize that Hollywood folks are not necessarily sports people. And right away, I was like, I had a head full of folks that I wanted him to get involved with the documentary. Uh, number one on my list was Vin Scully because he was not a young man at the time. He'd been the Dodgers announcer since the 50s. He'd literally watched my grandfather's entire career. And I think he was 92 when we started the project. And I was just like, you need to get this person and this person and this person and this person. And Sean was like, you need to come on board and 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 help with the doc. And that was kind of how I became the executive producer. Um, you know, just lining up folks uh, like Ralph Terry and Bobby Richardson, Tony Kubek, Hector Lopez, Dr. Bobby Brown, all these folks that grandpa had had played with. Um, so they could talk about how he was able to influence a team um, and make the people around him better. And then when I started doing all the interviews, my interviews for the documentary, we had originally thought like Billy Crystal or Bob Costas was going to be the narrator. And Sean just kind of liked how I talked about grandpa. Um, and I ended up narrating the film. So it was all an accident. I had no intention of being an executive producer. I had no intention of being a narrator. And here we are. And that's how it worked out. <laughs> That's what I will say. The opening scene, I was telling Sam this whenever I got into the office and I was talking about it. The opening scene being, and the fact that you opened and closed the film with the same exact scene of the 2015 All-Star Game honoring the best players in baseball. When you narrate that part of it, there is a level of emotion and actual like emotional attachment to the story that comes through with your voice that I don't think you could have gotten by even the best voiceover actor that you could have probably hired. I think that, yeah, your personal connection obviously added a lot to that for sure. 
Yeah, I, I get a little bit nervous about it because I'm not John Facenda from NFL Films with the deep dramatic voice <laughs> yeah. with, uh, strode to the plate. You're not getting that with me. And I'm not, I keep saying to people, I'm not even a filmmaker. I am just a granddaughter who loves and is extremely proud of her grandfather. And if you find that charming and endearing, wonderful, you might find it annoying. And I apologize for that. <laughs> No, I, I, think it, I think it probably helps with the authenticity of the story yeah. and not only that but then you also got to be along for the ride and make sure that the story the story was told in the way that you and your family wanted it to be told so from that perspective too like that's awesome for you guys that you were able to be so involved in it it, it really was cool to be involved in, in every step of the process and I, it was something I knew nothing about you know we get to get a ton of archival footage from the Yankees and, the, and Major League Baseball we had a score the, all the music that you hear was written by a composer special for us, um, which is just really neat. I didn't get to go to Austria, but Sean, our director, went to Austria and as a, a hired orchestra performed this. Um, you know, I can play it. I have the MP3, right? Like, it's just, it's pretty neat. We got this soundtrack done for the movie. Um, you know, we had an amazing editor, uh, Julian Robinson, who was able to dig up some just really incredible old clips of, of grandpa. There's actually two clips of um, my Grammy and grandpa's wedding that I had never seen before uh, in January of 1949. And I, the first time I saw them was when they were in the first cut of the film. So that was pretty special. So for I want to ask Sam and Taylor, because Sam grew up a Yankees fan. Taylor grew up in New York. What what's your memory of Yogi Berra? Um, I think my memories of Yogi are really, I mean, all kind of have to, but come from old timers day. Like he was such a, a staple in that for so many years. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm super close with my grandpa and he's taught me a lot about baseball and Yankees and he's part of the reason why myself and my whole entire family are Yankee fans. Um, so, you know, obviously you know, hearing stories from him and, um, and him and my grandma's house in Sarasota where they have a whole guest room that's called the Yankee room and it's just wall to wall and you know, collectibles and tickets and paraphernalia and all that stuff. So, um, you know, anytime I go there and look through that room, you know, Yogi popped up in a lot of those ways. Um, and, you know, just since we were lucky to have him so long and part of the organization so long after his playing career that he was able to be one of the main faces of, you know, that old time legendary Yankee team. And he was kind of the, the player that could connect the bridge. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, getting stories told to me from my, you know, my grandparents and hearing him and seeing him around the whole timers day and then kind of taking the initiative on my own to like, you know, look up about him. And then of course, you know, all the yogis that are, are really so cool and transcend, you know, baseball in so many ways. And it's just that all started from, from yogi as this, you know, just really cool, you know, stud catcher. Um, I think, I think that's really cool. So yeah, from, from my family and old timers day, and then the yogis was just kind of a really cool sprinkle on top that is like, oh, that, that came from a baseball player too. These these phrases that are used in any part of life. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean not growing up a Yankee fan, he Yogi Berra was just a name that every kid knew as a baseball player. Like it was like Babe yeah. Ruth, Yogi. Like there was just a couple names that even if you like weren't in a baseball family, like that was a name that every kid knew growing up. And like when you're playing in the yard and you're pretending to be somebody like old, like it was yeah, it was just like it was a household name. Just which is pretty wild because not everyone gets to that level, you know? Yeah, I guess, Lindsay, did you realize growing up the magnitude of, I guess, who your grandfather was and the weight that he held in baseball? No, not 
not at all. And it, I still get like wake up calls about it at, at this point in my life, even though I know full well who he was. When I was a kid, he was Grandpa Yogi and his job was to manage. He was a coach of the Yankees, but I didn't think of it as any different than, you know, my other friends, grandfather's jobs who were being accountants or bus drivers or owning a restaurant or whatever they did for a living. That Being a Yankees coach was just his job. Um, and by the time I was old enough to really understand who the Yogi Berra guy was, he'd been Grandpa Yogi for so long. Um, I say a lot that the Grandpa Yogi and Yogi Berra, you know, personas don't really meet and shake hands a lot in my mind. When I think about my memories as a kid, it's Grandpa Yogi. And when I talk about the guy with the 10 World Series rings and the three MVPs and the 18 All-Star Game appearances, that's Yogi Berra. And they're kind of different people, even though I full well know that they're not. And you know, when I hear people's stories, you know, you you guys are, are much younger than I am. So I'm excited that your parents introduced you to Grandpa Yogi and you did know who he was growing up. Um, but you see you see people who are, you know, maybe grew up in Puerto Rico and they happen to get Yankee games on the radio there. And, oh, I'm a big Yogi fan. I used to listen to him when I was a kid or or someone like he met in a parking garage and had like a really sweet interaction with and oh i met your grandfather this one time and he was so nice to me and we had this great conversation and that happens all the time and when you realize how far his reach goes and how he touched so many people that he met or didn't meet at all but still inspired in some way it's incredible and very humbling and amazing and and even though i know he's famous that stuff happens all the time and renews my appreciation for how much other folks loved him. And that's a crazy thing too. When you say like, I know I loved my grandfather, but when other people tell you, Oh, I loved Yogi Berra. I loved your grandfather. And they mean love in the same sense of the word that I do. It's absolutely amazing to realize that he reached people like that. So I think something when it comes to creating a film about a person or documentary, or we see it all the time, with these big Hollywood productions of like, oh, the family's upset with how the story was told and all of this. And you were an intricate part of the actual filmmaking process. And essentially you were humanizing him. And so, you know, growing up with him as your grandfather, you obviously see him through like a rose colored lens. I think we all view our grandparents like that. So as an adult in the filmmaking process, how did you balance like making sure he was shown in a positive light, but also like, telling the story as fully as it needed to be told to get across the right way. So I, I will say with grandpa, uh, he lived 90 years on this planet and I would challenge you to find someone to say something bad about Yogi Berra. He was just this person. He set the bar so high and it, in on some, in some ways it's a little bit stressful because looking at him as your role model, he always literally always did the right thing always took the high road um and it's a tough bar to live up to like you, we don't all behave the way we should all the time and when i don't i'm like oh sorry grandpa like i screwed up and i think about that all the time he's my barometer for what's right and what's wrong so it wasn't real hard to make sure he was portrayed in the in the right light because he never put himself into a bad light and actually, when Sean Mullen, the director, first took on the project, he was like, I'm not sure how we're going to do this documentary because you need tension to drive a narrative. And he just lived too perfect of a life. And what we end up settling on was this fact that he was really just underestimated at every turn, um, you know, told he was too small, 
um, you know, that he didn't look like a baseball player. He looked like a fire hydrant and a gargoyle, and he was too ugly to be a Yankee. Who even says, much less writes that in print, too ugly to be a Yankee? What the hell, right? Like, could you imagine someone writing that today? And, you know, he used, let it roll off his back and said, I never saw anyone hit with his face. So the, the tension really came from the outside forces acting upon grandpa rather than from grandpa himself, because he really just was a, a good, decent, humble, you know, example of the way to live your life. Yeah, I think you guys did a really good job of essentially he is the which, and maybe this is why the, the doc is so intriguing to me, because you're right. Typically there is like, there's plot twists, there's highs, there's lows, there's conflict. Like it, that's just a typical film. And with this, he's like the only constant, like he's just like constantly like a straight line start to finish. And the chaos and conflict is like getting fired from the Yankees, going to the Mets, winning, getting fired from there, like doing all of these crazy things. And even, and I wanted to bring this up, you guys actually added in some personal aspects of um, his son with the cocaine and that yeah. aspect of it. Why add that? Just out of curiosity, like what was the, and just from a filmmaker's perspective, what was the benefit of adding that storyline into yeah. film? I think that we really wanted to show grandpa as a complete person. We wanted to pre present the struggles as a first generation immigrant where the family was struggling to put food on the table and his older brothers, who he would tell you were all better baseball players than he was, had to work for a living so they didn't get a chance to play. And then he ends up getting the chance because his brothers stood up to their father to, to give grandpa a chance to play. Um, we wanted to include the part about him volunteering for the Navy and ending up uh, in the D-Day invasion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it's something folks can identify with, like there's a lot of veterans in this country. And then we include the love story with my Grammy Carmen. And then we include Dale's drug addiction because it just shows how strong and constant and loving he was as a father. Um, and I think the idea was really showing grandpa as more than a baseball player and giving people things to identify with. And so many of us are immigrants or the sons and daughters of immigrants. So many of us are veterans. We all love someone. We all know someone who's dealt with addiction in some way. And it was just another way to really humanize grandpa and make him relatable to any person who would walk in to see that movie um and it was a, a you know a big part of his life it was a big part of all of our lives in the 80s when when dale um had that stuff going on and we didn't think that it was necessary to run from it and we just felt like people would identify with it and and understand where he was coming from trying to help his son yes yeah, so sam taylor when before they played the movie there was a statement made that there could possibly be tears and that they've seen grown men cry. Me and Jake look at each other, which Jake, which I don't know, Lindsay, if you got a chance to meet him. I think you did. Jake was with us and yes. he was like, I'm, I'm not going to cry. Like, um, it, I'm not going to cry. It'll be good. I'm not going to cry. This man cried. <laughs> he for sure yeah. cried. And I teared up because so they when they talked about the love between Yogi and his wife, like Lindsay, like narrated these love letters oh. and it was the sweet like I could have listened to you read those love letters all day 
Like they were the sweetest things ever. You got to come to my grandpa's museum sometime. We have like 10 pages of those things on the wall and you could read them all. And they are all, all equally sappy and completely absurd. <laughs> They're so funny. He writes out things like G, G, E, E, G, I love you, darling. There'll never be another girl with you. However will I last until I see you again? I And then he'll write, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I really love you. I love you like 65 times. They're just, they're truly amazing. <laughs> yeah, there was a line. She like, Lindsay narrated this one letter and then was talking about another part of it and then goes, and then occasionally we'll add in, oh yeah, I went three for four today. <laughs> yeah, he always puts in something, ran into Joe Graziola. He looked good. Like it's all this sappiness. And then there's some sort of a concrete fact that he sneaks in. <laughs> oh my gosh. When you guys were planning out the film, how did it work as far as like, did you guys lay out the timeline of the things you wanted to include? And then you went and dug for footage and stuff. Like, how did that, how did you guys kind of lay out what you wanted to include? Did that come from you guys, like the family? No, that was more Sean Mullen, the director and our editor, Julian Robinson. And Sean, he, it was funny when he was figuring out how he was going to lay it out. He had an idea for like a bunch of acts and he was going to break it up with the yogis, but he wouldn't tell me what this was like he was telling me all the stuff he was going to include um but he wouldn't tell me like the structure he wanted me to be surprised when I saw the first rough cut um so that is full full credit to to Sean and Julian for for pulling that off um but I just think it, it was a really difficult process because I mean the man lived for 90 years and he lived a very complete life even without the baseball if you take the baseball out and the immigrant and the World War II and the family and whatnot I mean that's a pretty amazing story and Sean was just like compressing 90 years into 90 minutes is an incredibly challenging thing there's so much stuff that we had that we didn't get to include um and I think it's a minor miracle that he was able to put it all together so seamlessly and in such a, a heartfelt and, and emotional way he did they just did a great job was it hard working I mean I I know it was probably very rewarding working on a project like this but was it tough working on a project like this so close to home? Yes. I mean, so first of all, we had some real like actual logistical challenges. We started shooting in June of 19 and uh, um, we, we came home from Florida on a trip. We had gone down to Tampa and I think we interviewed Mariano Rivera, Willie Randolph, Ron Guidry in Yankees camp. We went to Miami to see Jeter, uh, how we got Hal Steinbrenner on that trip. And we came home on like March 8th or 9th or something. And the shutdown happened like two days later for COVID. So we really had to stop shooting for like 15 months, which was really difficult. And as I mentioned, a lot of these folks that grandpa played with or saw him play were not getting any younger. So we were all just sitting on, you know, pins and needles waiting to see if we were going to be able to get the remaining folks that we needed. So that part of it was challenging. And then for me, um, I was really, really close with my grandparents. My parents got divorced when I was five and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents as like my babysitters and they really were like a second set of parents to me. And then I say a lot, I was super lucky. Um, a lot of kids lose their grandparents when they're young. And I had my grandmother till I was 37 and my grandfather till I was 39. And you get to have the, a very different kind of relationship with them at that point. It's more of like an adult friendship than a grandfather granddaughter sort of sort of thing it, it evolves and I was so close to them and even though grandpa's now been gone for I guess it'll be eight eight years in 
in September. Um, it, it's all very close to the surface and I'm constantly surprised by how close it is. And when we're doing these shoots, like, you know, in listening to Hector Lopez tell stories about grandpa and whoever we happen to be talking to, or just like, like combing the recesses of my mind for some piece of information that Sean needed, it it brings that all up. And it's hard to go to that place over and over again for five years. I mean, even last night watching, there's some old uh, footage from the Edward R. Murrow show of my grandmother, my grandfather, you know, they're like in their late twenties and she's absolutely stunning. And grandpa looks just like my brother, Larry. And I get to, I'm, I'm tearing right now, just thinking about what they look like as, as young people. So um, that I think is the biggest challenge, like emotionally bringing yourself to that point over and over and, and over again, it's, it's very sweet, but yeah. you're like, Oh my God, I'm crying again. <laughs> yeah. No, that was my first thought. Whenever I watched it, I was like, I, I mean, because you're, you're touching on someone that meant a lot to you. And it was very obvious that he meant a lot to you and everyone involved in it. Um, and, and I think that's why people were crying and, and tearing up because they felt the emotion that you guys were portraying on the screen. And I think that, I think you all did a great job of not holding that back and keeping it professional, but also keeping it very relatable and very real because that, I mean, that emotion is something that everyone can relate to and self-expression. Yes. I feel like there's so many people out there, like if you want to look directly at me, granddaughters who have that relationship with their grandfather, but but just those relationships exist between so many different sets of people, you know, dads and daughters, mothers and sons, and, you know, just role models in, in general. But um, I do think it's amazing. How, I mean, so many people who have come up to me to tell me um, that, you know, they felt the same way about Grandpa Yogi as I do, and they could totally relate to me on the screen. And it's just, it's been really wonderful. Um, you mentioned the grown men weeping. That's actually a phrase that I took from a review of our doc. We we premiered it first really at the Tribeca Film Festival last year. We had six showings and it went great. And it was in New York City and you know everything was terrific. But then our next film festival was Nantucket. And I was like, wait a minute, we're taking this documentary to an island of Red Sox fans. It's literally an island of Red Sox fans. Why are we doing this? And we went and Sean and I did a Q and A and I was like afraid they were gonna like throw rotten fruit at me or something, whatever. But that whole theater, the folks were, were all teared up and there was a, a review the next day that came out that said something that basically total Red Sox territory and the closing credits were met with the sound of grown men weeping. And, you know, I don't know that we set out to make people cry, but we certainly wanted to tug at the heartstrings. And yeah. I think it's doing that and I love it. <laughs> no, I definitely love it. Uh, Sam, Taylor, you have any other questions before we dive into the draft? <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to draft. Yeah, okay. Just tell us, tell us when it's coming out, where it's playing, so the show yeah. everyone knows. Yeah. Sure. All right. So the movie, it ain't over. Will be only in movie theaters. It opens in Los Angeles and the tri-state area on May the 12th, and then on May the 19th, it will be in San Francisco, Philadelphia, D.C., Boston, Dallas, a whole bunch of other cities. And then they add another bunch of cities each week throughout May and June until it reaches a full national release. So it is definitely coming soon to a theater near you starting May 12th in L.A. and the tri-state area. Cool. 
I'll do that. Yeah, we're gonna have to get the office. Yeah, no, honestly, I'll go watch it again. (laughs) We have some Q and A's on uh, opening weekends in New York. I can let you know about those. Yeah, please do. Listening, those Q and A's will be totally public, and you can check uh, itain'tovermovie.com for those show times. Um, And I'm sure that we won't have the show times until two weeks out when the theaters set the show times. But uh, those uh, screenings with the special Q&As afterwards will be totally available to the public. Yeah, that could be our next office happy hour. Yeah, I'm in. All right, time to draft. We are going to be drafting best baseball traditions. Now, these baseball traditions can be official baseball traditions. They can be your own personal baseball traditions. They can just be something that brings you joy that you do repetitively when you visit a baseball game. However you take it, here we go. So we're going to do a snake draft. So I'll have Taylor start and then I'll go Lindsay, Sam, me, and then I'll go again. And then Sam, Lindsay, Taylor. Cool. Oh God. I'm going to mess that up the order. So you tell me when. I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Taylor, you're going first. Okay. First overall pick traditions. Um, I think my favorite baseball day of the year is opening day. Yeah. Like more than the world series, more than like it's opening day. And I love each person running out of the dugout, like getting announced, and then the full lineup with the anthem on the on the white lines. Like that's just per, a perfect baseball moment to me. That's my one one. That's your one one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Lindsay, what's your first? I'm going to go family baseball tradition. And it's one that you actually can't do anymore because of the rules. When I was a kid, I hated hot dogs. And back in the day, all you could buy to eat at the ballpark was hot dogs, peanuts, and popcorn. There were no options. There was no sushi like there is today. (laughs) Um, But I didn't eat fried. I I didn't eat hot dogs. So my Grammy Carmen, who grew up on a farm in Missouri and was an awesome cook, used to make a really big batch of fried chicken and bring it to Yankee Stadium in a picnic basket and my grandpa was coaching or managing at the time depending on what year it was and I would sit with one leg the old tan concrete dugouts at Yankee Stadium I would sit with one leg in the seats and one leg on the in the field with a chicken leg in my right hand and my little Spalding glove on my left hand because I wasn't allowed to sit there in foul ball territory without a glove and I would eat my chicken leg and catch foul balls foul balls and you know yell at Dave Winfield with his flip-up sunglasses so the uh, the picnic basket of fried chicken is definitely my favorite uh, baseball tradition in the Barra family. That is awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam, you're up next. <laughs> like, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> um, okay. Well, following that, we um, a couple months ago on the show, we did just like a general like sports um, traditions draft. And I believe my first pick in that uh, was the Yankee Stadium roll call, mm. which I will be staying true to. Love that. Because I just think that's no one can ever to do anything similar to that. No one has, no one will. It's just the coolest thing that the fans take it upon themselves to recognize the players. Um, and it's it's just a really cool thing that the bleachers have. And it's a yeah. cool thing that out of town guests like know to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool that, you know, I feel like sometimes, you know, Michael K on the broadcast will potentially be a little quieter so that they hear it on the broadcast. Um, yeah. I just, I just think it's the coolest thing ever. So that will remain my number one. That's a good one. Yeah. I had that on my list. Yeah. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. It's I did too. I had it also. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. All right. So I'll, Wait, I'll. How many are we doing? What? How many are we doing? Uh, does everyone have enough for five or we can do three? I think three. 
Let's do four. I think it depends if you all steal them. Let's do four. Let's do in the middle. Um, okay, so I'll do one, my one and two since we're snaking. My one is okay. So it has to do with the ceremonial first pitch, but I only enjoy it if it's bad. <laughs> like the worst first pitches are my favorite. Like the video. 50 conference. cent. 50 cent. Oh, <laughs> so bad. Like Travis Kelsey. So bad. He had a really bad one. Like Dr. First, Fauci was terrible. I love Dr. Fauci, but that was bad. It's just like when you throw and it goes like the, geez, the dugout, it's just. I love it. Brings me a lot of joy. That's my one. Um, number two is the Chicago Cubs uh, beer snake, beer cup snake. Damn, I had beer snake on my list. Yeah, I love that one. I've never partaken in it, but I want to. I do love a good beer snake. Yeah. So that's my one and two. Sam, what's your two? Um, for my two, um, I think I will go to the um, you know, uh, pitchers working on a perfect game or no hitter. The ignore him don't talk to him let us do let him do his thing kind of unwritten rule of not mentioning that um i i just like it i think it's something that you know if you're on the ends of the baseball world um and you know it's always just a rarity and a, a really really special thing so i think the whole that whole just unwritten um etiquette of of you know uh, being around a pitcher for a number of a game i i like that a lot that's a good one i like it Lindsay, what's your two? I love the take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch. I just like singing the song and I love <laughs> take me out to the ball game at, at the Cubs where the Harry Carey thing where they get someone famous to come in and sing it with all of the, the fans. So a lot of folks like, you know, sometimes you're trying to leave the baseball game early and folks leave in the sixth inning and I'm like, no, we have to at least stay for the seventh inning stretch. I want to sing yeah. the song. <laughs> And people are like, can't you just sing it in the car? And I'm like, no, I can't. Yeah, it's not the so, same. I like it. No. Nice. That's a good one. Taylor, what's your two, three? Two is like walk-up music and like closer, like reliever entrance mags. Because mm. you really don't get that in other sports. Like a personalized yeah. Yeah. moment. Like Edwin Diaz trumpets and like that. There's <sighs> still, from when I was working with the D-backs, there's still guys songs I hear and immediately I associate with the player. And yeah. I love that because that'll like stick yeah. with you forever. I remember college, the college baseball guys walk up songs. Like if I hear a certain one, like, oh my God. Like it it's like right me. back to the like shooting in college. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> that's cool. So that's my two. It's a good one. And then I think my three is going to be, look at my list. Um, curtain calls, like when someone does something great and then they have to come back out and the fans just like mm. shut up until they come out and wave the cap um yeah I like that just an extra little and sometimes it's something huge and sometimes it's something silly like it can yeah. be like but I love when they got to give a little tip to the cap to the fans good good too two, three. all right Lindsay what's your three I like when the home fans in the outfield throw the opposing team's home runs back onto the field <laughs> and, and it's super fun I mean it, it when uh you know 20 years ago, it wasn't as big of a deal because memorabilia wasn't as big of a thing. But nowadays, if, you know, somebody throws back an Aaron Judge home run ball, like, I mean, he just gave up like, you know, $15,000. So like a lot of respect to the people who throw the home run balls back. But I, I love it. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. A little passive aggressive. And I love it. Yeah. It's just like, we don't, we don't care. <laughs> like, we don't care. I don't need your stinking money. No, <laughs> no. 
Sam? Um, my next one, I think I'm going to go to uh, giving, a, um, giving a rookie the silent treatment after he hits his first home run. Um, <laughs> you know, he comes back to the dugout, everyone acts as natural, and yeah. they go up top, and then, you know, until he's, like, panicking, and then they all, you know, glom onto him and, and give him his congrats. I always think that's really fun. It's, you know, like, kind of a, a gentle and nice rookie hazing, um, but I always, I always just kind of get a kick out of that. That's a given. Um, my, I guess my three, four. So my three is kind of general. Um, it's just peanuts because I associate baseball with peanuts and sometimes Texas roadhouse. Cause that's that restaurant where you can eat yeah. them and throw them on the ground. Yeah. It's the same vibe, but there's something about like sitting in the sun, watching a baseball game, eating peanuts that feels right. So that's my three peanuts just in general. And my four, mm, let's see, I know. My four is when teams do theme dress-ups on their travel day. Oh, I love that. Like, I love when, like, it's a random theme, like Miami Vice, because they're going to Miami Mm -hmm. and they're all dressed like head to, and they try, they actually put effort into their outfits. I love that. Um, and then my honorary mention of what I hate is the wave. So t- Sam, <laughs> wait, wait, how do you, if you hate the wave, how do you feel about y- YMCA? <laughs> I hate it. It's not as bad. I the think he's y- with the ground crew is awesome. YMCA That's is good. a song though. Like, and it's scheduled. The wave is just, people just do it whenever they Yeah. Do. Like it's just, and it's like three people that are like, do it with me. And I'm like, I'm not going to be yeah. the fourth. Like, no. I hate it. I don't know why. When I see it, I'm just like, stop. Yeah, I also don't like it. I, can I make a quick comment about peanuts? Yeah, <laughs> of course. I was a kid. Comment about peanuts. I was a kid and we would go to the ballpark and that was where like I learned to eat the peanuts in the shell and whatever. And I had peanut butter at home. And those were the two forms that I knew of for peanuts, peanuts in the shell and peanut butter. And when I was like about 10, I saw a can of like, or like the jar that you open up yeah. and it's the peanuts out of the shell, like where you don't have to peel them. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you can have peanuts and you don't have to peel them? <laughs> I was, it was like mind blown. I didn't know that that was a thing. So this is pretty funny. This, what's this science? This is magical. You're a baseball kid. Oh, 1000%. 1000. I love that. Uh, Why don't they just sell them like this in the field? And then you won't have those shells all over the floor to clean up. I mean, that seems easier. Yeah, it would have saved so much time and your fingers wouldn't have been sticky. Uh, Sam, what's your fourth? Um, My last one, I think, talked about it before, but um, I think old timers day. Like Mm. Yankees, I mean, in my head are the biggest example. I think the Mets do it. Um, I just think it's really cool. Like I said, it bridges the gap and helps teach the younger generation about the older generation and, especially for the Yankees who are so big on tradition and, you know, keeping values from generation to generation. I think that's just a really cool experience and a really cool day. I've never been able to go to one yet, but I think that would be really cool. Um, you know, to see the, I guess if they do the games anymore, see that before um, and kind of just like relive what, um, you know, was on the field however long ago. Um, I think that's, that's really, really cool. Um, and, and, and I think also really important for teams to do because it's, it's really good to, like I said, blend the blend all the generations and you know, help the the guys from before you know teach 
the, the current guys and they can always learn something from someone. So um, I think in both aspects, it's really cool and really important. Um, so I, I love my sucker full time today. I love that. All right, Lindsay, what's your last pick? I'm going to maybe do one and then another honorable mention. Yeah. So I am a dork, just FYI. My dad was like a big history buff when I was growing up and he would always do like history trivia. And at some point in my life, I memorized the order of all of the American presidents. So I have always gotten a big kick out of the president's race. At the I National love that. <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt and those people in those poor costumes, like falling all over themselves. It's always just... I've, I've just got a big kick out of it and I always imagine what Teddy Roosevelt must think watching down on this race yeah. oh, man. um so I love it it cracks me up and the sausage race is fun too but I like the president's better um and then the other thing I just want to throw out there is um also as a kid so my dad is 73 and he plays on like five over 65 softball games still plays like 200 and some games a year and as a kid, I learned to keep the book at his games, do the scorebook when I was like five years old and would and would keep the book. So a lot of times when I go to games, I still uh, keep keep the score sheet. And it just kind of reminds me of being a kid with dad and, and grandpa and learning how to score uh, a single and, you know, circle the pop outs and all that kind of stuff. So doing the book is definitely a tradition for me as well. That's such a good one. I was actually I was at the Yankee game last week, um, and I ended up for the later half of the game, ended up sitting behind Anthony Volpe's dad, who I think is well documented that every game he still keeps the books for you know big professional games that his son is in. So I got to see that like with my eyes, and it was just like the most most precious um, thing ever. So I fully agree with that. I think that's really, really cool. that's a great one. That's my great. dad has stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of scorecards from my grandfather's games, like in a storage unit where he did the books for years and years. And I'm like, what are we going to do with these things? He's like a, he's like a yeah. scorecard hoarder. Yeah. Make them into a wallpaper. Yeah. Ooh, that's cool. I was, I was a wallpaper for every house in New yeah. York. Like <laughs> literally everyone in the family is getting a wall. I was going to say, you make it like the whole wall. Like a room, yeah. Honestly, though. Or you could have, like, framed, like, all, like, big games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As a Christmas present. Speaking of wallpaper, I'm just full of weird facts. My grandparents, when you, Grammy Carmen and Grandpa Yogi lived here in Montclair, and they had a center hall colonial, and when you walked into the front of their house, um, in a lot of old houses, you see, like, from the center hall, there's, like, a small hallway with a low ceiling that goes into the kitchen, yeah. and she had this wallpaper in that little small hallway, and it was, like, kind of a mauvey pink, but it had baseballs all over it, and every person who visited the house would sign a baseball, so the wallpaper had, like, I mean, people like me on it and, like, their neighbors, but it also had, like, Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin and all these, you know, their friend, famous baseball friends who would come. And I have no idea what happened to that wallpaper after they sold the house, if the people kept it or not. But there were definitely some gems on that baseball wallpaper. Yeah. Can you imagine seeing that and being like, what yeah. is, I don't get, well, all right, we're going to yeah. redecorate. Yeah, that's really cool she did that. <laughs> redecorate. Yeah. yeah. That get rid of it. Really cool. That's awesome. Taylor? Or they, they were just like, wait a minute, why were they writing on their wall? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Not baseball fans at all. They're yeah. Like, what the hell is like, this? What is yeah. this? That's like weird. It's the last one. Yeah. So, Good um, luck following that up. Yes. Yeah. Off so, yeah. your great stuff. Um, I like victory songs because pretty much every team has one. Yeah. So that just as everyone's walking out of the stadium and the yeah. team wins and the song's playing and everyone's just like happy, 
obviously, famously, the Yankees, the Mets do have one. I know the D-backs have one. The Cubs have, like, go Cubs go. Like, yeah. I feel like every team kind of has a thing now. Yeah. And just that good vibe when you're, like, walking out, songs mm-hmm. playing, and you know you won. Yeah, like a victory song. Do the Yankees play their song when they lose Every too? Time. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where it hits weird. Where it's like yeah, I'm supposed to be happy, like but I'm not. It yeah, you're yeah. like yeah, New York. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's our draft. Yay, everyone! Congrats, yeah. Lindsay. Thanks for being here. This was great. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah, this is. I hope you girls get to go see the movie. May 12th, May 12th. Yes, we're going to make sure. It also do, you should also do an office visit to my grandpa Yogi's museum here and out in New Jersey. Yeah, we, we really should. Trip. Yeah, we definitely should. Uh, it ain't over. Life story of Yogi Berra is going to be out May 12th. Tri-state areas, Los Angeles first, and then it's going to venture into other cities. Lindsay, you are welcome back whenever you would like this episode will be up later today but that's all we got guys bye bye